You can find our story this morning in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 36 through 43, page 1001 in the New Testament of your pew Bible. Uh, Before we read it, here's the situation. Jesus dies, the tomb is empty, the winds of Pentecost infiltrate the upper room, and filled with the Holy Spirit, the disciples live together, they share their resources, and eventually move out into the regions of Palestine, preaching the resurrection of their Messiah, baptizing new believers, and healing folks along the way. But anytime somebody gets healed, or there is a miracle of any sort, there is a stir. So Peter and John get arrested. Early believers are being killed by folks like Saul. And yet, against all odds, folks like Peter and Philip and John and the rest of them have pretty good success all throughout Judea and Galilee and even Samaria. And so they press on and they press out. And 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem is the town of Lydda. Peter heals a man who'd been paralyzed. And then we find ourselves in the port town of Jaffa, about 11 miles away from there. So now let's listen to the word of God. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with the request, please come, come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then, calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon who was a tanner. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, my father, in an attempt to be funny, sent a magazine article to my mom and his three daughters entitled, A Good Wife's Guide from Housekeeping Monthly, 1955. In case you all are looking for some pointers, here are a few. Have dinner ready for your husband when he gets home. This is a way of letting him know that you are concerned about his needs. Prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed. Touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. Be a little more interesting for him. That's all it says. (laughs) Clear away the clutter. Make one last trip through the main part of the house. Minimize all noise. 
at the time of his arrival, encourage the children to be quiet. Be happy to see him. <laughs> Greet him with a warm smile and show sincerity in your desire to please him. Let him talk first. Remember, his topics of conversation are more important than yours. Don't greet him without complaints and with complaints and problems. <laughs> Don't complain if he's late for dinner or even if he stays out all night. <laughs> Count this as minor compared to what he might have gone through at work. Have a cool or warm drink ready for him. Arrange his pillow and offer, offer to take off his shoes. Speak in a low, soothing and pleasant voice. Don't ask him questions about his actions or question his judgment or integrity. Remember, he is the master of the house and as such will always exercise his will with fairness and truthfulness, blah, 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 blah. Here's the one that throws me over the edge. <sighs> During the cooler months of the year, you should prepare and light a fire for him to unwind. After all, catering to his comfort will provide you with immense personal satisfaction. Remember, a good wife always knows her place. Well, this was only 65 years ago, but if these rules existed back in Tabitha's time, I can imagine that she and her friends and Jopa did not mind being widows at all. <laughs> Let the record state, if these rules were suggested in my home, I would most certainly self-impose myself to be a widow. But nonetheless, this morning, our lectionary text, we find an entire community centered by and focused upon women. Mothers and sisters and aunts and women without children, older women, younger children, and everything in between. But women who were considered marginalized, vulnerable, at risk, and unimportant because they were not married. The Greek word for widow is chera. It is derived from the word chasm, as in without, or lacking, or empty, or desolate. And that's a shame, because in spite of the world around them, that is not what Scripture is revealing to us this morning. This morning, we find a group of women who, shall we say, came to know their place. Yes, ask anyone within the empire, and they would tell you that it was Caesar of Rome, not Jesus, who was the Son of God. Obviously, coins and temples were propagated for ultimate economic and religious control. Yes, the world was altogether violent, lest we forget the events of Holy Week. And yet, Roman dominance was maintained in more strategic ways. Puppet politicians, corrupt kings, spineless religious leaders. Yes, those in power upheld hierarchies of gender and class and race by enforcing oppressive laws, not the least of which was the enslavement and the oppression of people. And no, the law, the money, and the decisions were not controlled by women. And yet, and yet this morning, 
not so very long after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we find a faithful Jewish community who came to believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And within that community, we stumble upon not just one, but a group of women who were depending solely upon themselves in their community of faith for protection and provision and care and, dare I say, purpose. Now, we don't really know how many there were or how they ended up there, but there were the widows among the saints. That's what it says. And they are central actors in the narrative. And maybe they were at risk. Maybe they were marginalized or lonely. Maybe they happened to need a meal or two or a friend or two or an advocate or a tunic or even a coat or, God forbid, help with their child care. But to be clear, these women were not victims. They were not helpless or pitiful or unworthy or unable to think for themselves. They were unmarried. And regardless of their marital status, we do know that women found great freedom and joy and even power in even the earliest of communities who embodied this story of who Jesus was and what Jesus accomplished. And that, in fact, was a little bit radical. And it is exactly where we find Tabitha and her faithful crew this morning. You see, if they were at, without husbands, then they were free to choose where they worshipped or how they worshipped. If they were single, then, then they were not restricted by the decision-making of their husbands or their fathers or their brothers. You see, once you hear about the one who refuses to turn his back or walk away or shut you out, once you hear about the one who welcomes and embraces and honors and forgives, once you hear about the one who liberates, once you hear about it, once you witness it, once you experience it, well, it changes everything from the inside out. I think Paul puts it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So let the record state, this is no ordinary faith community. And maybe it doesn't seem so radical to assume that Tabitha was indeed a widow herself. But she happens to be the only woman in Scripture named as a disciple. Scripture says that Tabitha was devoted to good works and charity. The literal translation would read, this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continuously did. You see, it's not that Tabitha was audacious or rebellious or outspoken. It's that Jesus was. Tabitha was a disciple. Perhaps she knew Jesus. Did she follow him? She was a righteous Jew, Jewish person. She already knew about Ruth and Naomi, but perhaps she heard Jesus teach the parable of the persistent widow. She could have, among the disciples, been standing there when Jesus talked about the widow who quietly put her last two coins in the temple coffers. If she was a disciple, then she would have known about the woman at the well and the woman accused of adultery you see, it was Jesus who changed the status of widows because Jesus trusted women to make decisions for themselves, for their families, for their well-being. 
Jesus trusted women to lead. Jesus trusted women to model discipleship. And in time, it was the church that entrusted women to apostleship. And so while there was a risk, as Tabitha lived into her baptismal identity in Christ, it was the entire church full of men and women that was creating space and breaking down barriers and moving against the status quo, even in the earliest communities. Widows were often designated mourners. The widows were the ones that were responsible for burials, preparing the bodies, praying, fasting, counseling within the community. Now maybe these roles were not desirable for some other folks. Or maybe this sort of kindness required more time and more energy than the men could have allowed since they were the ones that really did have to go to work. But I suspect they divided the work of the church according to the gifts of the Spirit. And when it comes down to it, the widows had already experienced loss and grief. And so they knew precisely what to say and what to do in the face of death. If you've ever eaten a pimento cheese finger sandwich here at Selwyn Avenue during a funeral reception, then you know what I'm talking about. Good works, deeds of kindness, that all makes sense. But continual acts of charity? Well, huh, now we're talking about money. Earning it, managing it, sharing it, using it to change things, to build things, to fix things in authentic and lasting ways. And it's one thing for women to care for each other and serve within the early church, but certainly women were not supposed to have significant roles in society or economic freedom. When would they dust and make dinner and prepare fires? And yet Tabitha... Tabitha was named a disciple. She was one of those women in the community who connected people. She was a conduit of relationships. She empowered and supported other women, not in a rebellious or controversial way, but in a sacrificial, life-giving, faithful way. And so now maybe these widows found their way to the early church because they really did need a hand or a hug or a tunic, but they got so much more than that. They got an invitation, a place to belong. They got freedom and hope and love and joy. They got a new life. And so they stuck around. And that's the power that was within this network. The power was in their relationships. It was in their mutual trust and their wholehearted willingness to share it with those who needed it the most that were outside the bounds of their community. And any time folks start organizing their passions and pooling their resources for the glory of God's reign and God's power and God's love, well, things are going to change. What they could not have expected was Tabitha's death. It was a devastating loss. So the church sends two men to Lydda in search of Peter, and the widows, they prepare Tabitha's body in an upper room where there would have been a breeze, and eventually they make the case for Tabitha's faithfulness and the impact, the actual impact of her ministry. All those tunics, all that cloth, all these women, they were real implications for the community when Tabitha dies. But the relational work, the network, the ministry of the church, even though it was strained, 
the community of mutual respect and inclusion, all of that pre-existed Peter's miracle. You see, this story is not about Tabitha's importance, even though they depended upon her. The church did not need Tabitha to live forever, any more than Peter and the others needed Jesus to walk the earth forever. This is a story about the perpetual power of God's love and grace in Christ. Christ who healed and saved and who calls us and seeks us and finds us and gives us cause to question and challenge and doubt and then to believe. Healing and miracle in Scripture, none of that is random, you see. These events are strategic expressions of God's mysterious, almighty power that we cannot explain. And their purpose is to reveal and expand God's reign on earth as it is in heaven. But can you guys imagine the network of women that day? They had the sense to send the messengers. And so Peter, the rock on which the church was built, made the trip, climbed the stairs, kicked them all out of the room, dropped to his knees, prayed for one of them, a woman a widow, a disciple. And so, of course, news of Tabitha's awakening, news of her resurrection, it went viral. Because we all know news travels through networks of women faster than 5G. Can I get an amen? There's the men all just laughed. But it wasn't propaganda, and it wasn't gossip. It was good news. You see, we share Tabitha's story on this Mother's Day because it's important. There are less than 70 women named in the entire Bible, and Tabitha is one of them. She and the widows at Joppa represent not just women, but every marginalized group in our culture and our society today. And her story is a story of identity and purpose and passion and power claimed in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So on this day, the day our culture celebrates mothering, we give thanks to God for entrusting women and calling them at every stage of life into communities of faith to lead and to care and to work together for their own well-being and the well-being of those who need to be wrapped in God's love and God's grace. Amen. This Sunday, we recognize and celebrate nine graduating high school seniors, and I believe we have five of them in worship with us this morning. So seniors, I'll invite you to stand where you are. Now. Please. (laughs) We're celebrating you today because in Christ Jesus, God says yes. We're here because God has bestowed within you a promise and a hope and a faith that transcends fear and anxiety and even death. And just because many of you are moving away and starting new chapters, it doesn't mean that you quit church. Because Selwyn isn't going anywhere. We're always here for you. And because no matter where you go or what you do or what you say or don't say or accomplish or don't accomplish, 
You are enough and you are cherished and God will never abandon you and neither will this church. God's voice and God's yes will always be louder than all the no's you might hear as you go on your way. So at this time, Lori and I are gonna introduce each of these seniors and the seniors that are unable to be with us in person to all of you. So seniors, as you hear your name, we invite you to come forward and to stand around the baptismal font. And parents, after introductions, we will invite you forward. Our first senior is unable to be here, Faye Aaron. Faye is the daughter of Cliff and Abby Aaron and was baptized on April 17th, 2005. Faye is a child of this church and grew up downstairs in the CDC, the Children's Development Center. And Faye is graduating from Providence High School. Tate Arrington is not here with us in worship today, but she is the daughter of Burton Kimber Arrington. She was baptized on February 9th, 2005, and she's graduating from Providence Day School. This fall, she's headed to Davidson to be a part of the cross-country track and field teams. Andy Bentley. Andy is the son of Joe and Michelle Bentley. Andy will be graduating from the Northwest School of the Arts. Andy has a passion for theater and activism and writing and music. He's always keeping busy with some new show or self-directed project. Angie, Andy enjoys playing guitar and composing his own music. Andy has been serving this past year as the youth elder here at Selwyn. And Andy's leadership has extended far past youth group on Sunday nights. His involvement has included Room in the Inn, Montreat Youth Conferences, Appalachian Service Project, yearly youth retreats, and Sunday school. Andy's excited to announce that he will be moving to Madison, New Jersey, just outside of New York City, to attend Drew University. All right. Campbell Burbank is in the house. She is the daughter of Todd and Lori Burbank. Campbell is graduating from Myers Park High School. She joined Selwyn with the 2018 confirmation class, and she's a member of the National Honor Society and participated in DECA at Myers Park. This year, she won third place in the state competition. Campbell's been active in our youth group, <laughs> Room in the Inn, ski trips, and the Appalachian Service Project. She loves soccer and snow skiing, and she can't wait to cheer on the Wolf Pack at NC State this fall. Everett Bergen. Everett is the son of Andy and Ginny Bergen and will be graduating from Myers Park High School. Everett was baptized on December 28th of 2003 and joined Selwyn in 2018. Everett is a Boy Scout and has earned his Eagle Scout. He's a member of the Myers Park Cross Country team and is a pretty serious hiker. He loves spending time outside, camping, and rock climbing. Everett was awarded the Centennial Scholarship to the University of Denver and can't wait to move and start classes in Colorado this fall. Go Pioneers. Molly McGirt is not with us this morning. She is a daughter of John and Ken McGirt and is graduating from Myers uh, Providence High School. Molly was baptized on September 28, 2003 and joined uh, in 2018. She's headed to UNCG this fall where she hopes to major in speech pathology and minor in dance. Fletcher Moore. 
Fletcher is the son of Jim and Cindy Moore and will be graduating from Myers Park High School. Fletcher was baptized in March of 2004 and joined Selwyn in 2018. Fletcher has been an active member of the youth group through his middle and high school years, participating in Youth Sunday, Room in the Inn, youth dinners and retreats. Fletcher loves to hunt and fish and spend time outdoors. He's an Eagle Scout and member of Troop 11. And if you've ever taken one look at his truck, you might know that this guy knows a thing or two about cars. Fletcher has been dual enro enrolled at the CPCC in their automotive technology department over the last year, and he'll be continuing those classes in the fall. Anna Stewart is not with us this morning. She is the daughter of Chris and Megan Stewart. She's graduating from Myers Park High School, and she joined Selwyn in 2018. Anna is heading off to Northeastern University in Boston this fall. Maggie Thrasher. Maggie has been a leader for Selwyn for many in their youth for many years. She served as the 2019-2020 Youth Elder and continues to lead on Sunday nights and at mission events. She also helps coordinate a lot of grade dinners. Maggie is a third generation member at Selwyn. Her grandparents are Selwyn members, Hank and Bobby Hankins. And she was baptized in March of 2004 and joined Selwyn in 2018. In the summers, you can find Maggie at camp. This year, Maggie will be at Camp Cheerio as a senior counselor, Maggie loves the beach, hanging out with friends, attending concerts, and spending time with her family and her dogs. This fall, she will be attending the University of South Carolina, where she'll be majoring in sports and entertainment management. Parents at baptism, I cannot believe these people are graduating, by the way. <laughs> But at baptism, this church promised to help you um, by guiding and nurturing your children by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging them uh, to know them and to know Christ in real and lasting ways so that they might become faithful disciples as they grow in ministry and service to the world. The church upheld that promise as best we could, and we watched your children move beyond the faith that we gave them, and they claimed their faith as their own. So at this time, I would like to invite our parents to come forward. Seniors, you can spread out along the front. Seniors, it's a Selwyn tradition that we give each of you a blanket as a symbol of our continuing care and concern for you as you begin a new chapter of life. May its warmth always remind you of the love of your parents and this congregation and our care and support for you. And may it also always remind you of God's grace and enduring love. Parents, we'd like to invite you to place the blanket on the seniors' shoulders and to lay some hands on them so that we might all pray together. Let us pray. Holy God, we stand in awe and humility of the good gifts you have given us in each of these graduates. You have instilled in them a curiosity about our world, your people, and your earth. This curiosity and this thirst for truth has led them here to this place, and we're so grateful and privileged for the years of friendship. And now, as they go from here, we ask that you would graciously continue to fill them with a deep and abiding knowledge of your love for them. And we ask that by your spirit they may tend to the world and help set it right once again. Give them open hearts to feel its pain. 
courage enough to not be overwhelmed by its suffering. May they taste the joy of seeing your kingdom come in every corner of this planet. And we ask that by your spirit they may be nourished and renewed by hope, the good news that God, that God is God, that Jesus is Lord, and that the powers of evil have been defeated, and that God's new world has begun. May your mercy, beauty, and hope be theirs in this world for your glory. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for mothers and for all of the people who have been as mothers to us. We thank you for the people who have cared for us, taught us, nurtured us, mentored us, and helped us grow. We pray for those, too, who find Mother's Day a difficult time, those who have lost their mothers, who never knew their mothers, or who have strained relationships with their mothers. We pray for people who have suffered the loss of a child, those who struggle with infertility, those who want to have children but can't, and those who have suffered miscarriages. On days like today, may we be especially aware of the experiences of others and sensitive to all that this day brings. We thank you for these graduates, O oh Lord, your beloved creations. We thank you for their accomplishments, and we celebrate with them at this time of graduation. God, the spirit guide and guardian, we pray that, that they'll recognize your guidance in the next stages of their journeys. And may your loving protection surround them each step they take. May they seek to live lives according to your example lives of justice and peace and joy. Holy God, in this world, there are so many things that divide us. For the divides, for ever-growing tensions and strong feelings, we pray for guidance, compassion, and empathy, and that your will will be done. Heal our wounds and bind up our broken hearts. Strengthen us in our daily living that in joy and in sorrow, we may know the power of your presence to bind together and to heal. Lord, hear the prayers on our hearts and on our lips and hear us now as we pray the prayer your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, we're called to live lives of generosity, hospitality, healing, and peace. And so let us respond this morning to that call on our lives and on this church. 
The morning offering will now be received.
please join me in the prayer of dedication. Holy God, you are my divine shepherd. I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures and lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me toward right paths for your name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Therefore, O God, accept our offering for the good of the world as we joyfully give thanks in Christ's name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I love it.